Hello, everybody. Hello, Aaron. Hey, Ken. You're everybody. Yes. Welcome to another Silicon Valley podcast. I'm Kevin Vela of Vela Wood. With me as always, not as always, with me is mostly Aaron Turway. Hey, guys. Hi. Also of Vela Wood. That's correct, for now. Mm. Currently. Uh, we're here to talk about episode 35, which is episode 7 of season, season 4, Patent Troll. We're back on schedule, Aaron. We're recording this the day after the show. It's not impressive. A, not a week after the show. Yeah. Or the, recording the on a Monday yeah. and, and for the episode that aired the night before. So that was always the plan. We'll try and get these things out within a couple of days after the show coming out. So this was Patent Troll. You know, I feel like the last couple of episodes, Aaron, we really dove into the, the topics or the yeah. theme of the show. I thought this one sucked. To be honest, what were your thoughts of this show? I didn't think it sucked. I, I mean, I have found other episodes to be uh, more entertaining. I think that's the diplomatic way of saying it. You know, patent troll, first of all, it's labeled patent troll, so it's going to have a negative connotation to begin with. Living here in Dallas, the input we hear a lot about patents, we don't do any patents here, right? Obviously, we deal with them a lot. A lot of our clients have patents. We just don't have a patent attorney. You have to have a very specialized background, and you have to actually have to pass another bar exam to be a patent attorney. No, thanks. <laughs> but we deal with them here because Cuban has been very vocal about being against patent trolls. And Cuban's on the record of saying he doesn't even believe in patents right. at all. Yeah. Right. He just thinks you should put the technology out there and you just go win with your marketing plan or whatnot. You certainly have a right to protect your IP. I don't have any problem with that. But this episode drills in on something that's a real problem in the startup or venture world, which are companies that buy up broad patents you can buy these things at auction, and then you go out and you try to show that newer patents are infringing. Now, we do get a lot of IP litigation here locally because everything comes out of – which district is it, Aaron? It's Eastern District, but it's uh, it's might be changing pretty soon. Well, let's talk about that. So it's the Eastern District, which is a federal court, yes. correct? And the Eastern District is based where? Uh, well, most of the patent cases are out in Marshall. Out in Marshall, yeah. Texas. And for whatever reason, it has just become the place for patent litigation. The judges are well-versed on it. It's middle of the country. It's easy to travel to. The clerks are well-versed on it. So you get a lot of landmark patent and licensing questions coming out of the Eastern District. Why do you say it's changing? There is a current Supreme Court case, and I, I'm pretty sure the decision has either come out or is coming out soon that is – poised to shake that all up oh okay yeah all right so anyway so we deal do deal with patents here yes this is a very real thing people will sue we actually just got one a demand letter one of our clients just got a demand letter last week from a patent troll that's actually uh something to celebrate so if you're if you're, if you're uh, big time successful enough? enough to to garner a letter from a patent troll congratulations so here's what happened client gets a letter from a patent troll now this client they've raised series a they've raised series b they're pretty far along so they're not going to get shaken up by a simple demand letter which, for those startups out there listening, you're going to get a demand letter, right? Just be ready for it. At yep. some point in time, you're probably going to get sued. It's okay. I think I've said previously on this podcast. You will get if, sued. If you don't get sued, you're not doing right. it right. Yeah. So Aaron is predicting lawsuits for everybody. But Kleinor has got a letter from a patent troll. And the form letter had the wrong company's name in the middle of the first paragraph. So it said, so-and-so is infringing on my client's work, and it was the wrong so-and-so. Now, it was addressed to the right party, but the law clerk – this is why I hate clerks. No. The law clerk or the paralegal that had drafted this thing up had not taken the time 
to replace. Or maybe even the lawyer. Even the let's, lawyer. Let's, not throw, let's not throw clerks and paralegals under the bus. A lot bus. easier to do that than yeah. take responsibility. Yeah, the whole find and replace thing is tricky. So what we did with that was we got a couple patent attorneys we work with pretty regularly. We sent it over to him in this particular instance. He said, I know all about these guys. Sure, we'll take this and we'll get it shut down. So we'll see if there's anything there or not. My understanding is these patent trolls are just trying to shake a payment out of as many people as possible, as many Richard Hendricks as they can. So let's just walk through that storyline, Aaron. Uh, Richard gets the demand letter. He goes and visits with the attorney. At first, he thinks it's the uh, 22-year-old pot-smoking college kid who is the coder, and Richard's going to talk to him code right. to code. And then he finds out that it's the grandfather who's been uh, made his wealth off suing on copyright infringement. And Richard tries to negotiate with him. That doesn't go anywhere. Richard then goes and gets everyone else in the app stores right above him and says, hey, look, this letter's coming. Let's all band together and put $20,000 and hire a real patent litigator and go after this guy. And all those guys who comically don't understand anything Richard's doing or saying in the group meeting, then they just completely ignore Richard's suggestion or request and just settle. Can we go back real quick and talk about the advisability or um, whether it's a good idea to, if you get a demand letter from uh, a patent troll, to thinking that you, the client, or you, the uh, entrepreneur, can go and try to negotiate that yourself? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So I know a lot of people want to save on costs, and they want to get out there and do things on their own. Let's talk about some of the pros and cons of doing that. The pro first, obviously, you're going to save on costs. Yeah. Secondly, I think a lot of founders think, hey, I can get out this more quickly. Uh, the attorney takes time or the attorney might not, this might not be top of a top priority for the attorney. Well, and also, you know, just trying to avoid escalating the situation. Right. You know, if you go, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Joe Smith, the founder of this company. You know, I, I haven't gotten my attorney involved. Let's try to work this out. You know, maybe, maybe you can come to a, a more amicable. You know, which may be okay if it's founder to founder. Right. Right. Founder to attorney is something you definitely don't want to do for a number of reasons. First of all, you might say something that the attorney is going to use against you yes. in the future. Secondly, you are not sophisticated within that particular realm. You know, Aaron, you and I are attorneys. When we need work done to our website, we don't try and do it ourselves. No. Right? When we need design work done, we don't try and do it ourselves. Even if we need legal work done that's not in our Outside wheelhouse, our that's correct. no way. We don't try and do it we're ourselves. Not, we're not going to try to litigate patents. That's correct. So go to an expert and let them do it. And then typically when you do get into litigation, and I was silly enough to try and do a little litigation very early in, early in my career, but we do see it here because we have a couple of litigation attorneys. The attorneys are generally pretty reasonable with each other, right? It's a profession. These guys have a professional level of respect. So they're usually willing to say, okay, what are your points? Let's talk about, does it make sense to settle this? Are we going to proceed with litigation? I mean, I see attorneys that are in very uh, you know, aggressive or kind of strong negotiations or, excuse me, uh, litigation uh, hearings or, or trials. And then they walk out and they shake hands and you know, right. they have dinner together. Yeah. Right? They're just part of the job. Well, and, and I think you know, you used a good word, which is usually. I mean, you may come across an attorney who just is completely unreasonable and you're, you can't you can't get through to them at all. And then the other part of it is there's a good chance you're going to screw something up and just make it worse. We get a lot of this. You know, a lot of startups come to us and they've used LegalZoom, which is fine early on or Rocket Lawyer. But the time, if you're going to go raise money, you need a startup attorney looking at these docs. Not just a corporate attorney, but a startup attorney looking at your docs. Man, if you try and get involved in negotiating directly with an attorney on the other side, 
Now, I will say if you've done this several times, if you exited three or four times, not the patent stuff, but the, some of the early stage initial docs, no problem. Yes, you probably have a good understanding of it. But man, if you're going to do anything sophisticated or complicated or something for the first time, reach out to your attorney on well, it. So, And I think, you know, we, we try, try to tell clients this, you know, we try to balance, um, you know, or walk the fine line between getting attorneys involved too early and, but also you don't want to get them involved too late. Right. Uh, you know, if, if I always say, if you don't pay, you know, an attorney up front, you'll usually end up paying more on the back end to fix it. And, you know, that's not always going to be true, but more likely than not, that's what's going to happen. That's correct. We understand attorneys cost money. I mean, heck, in this case, you know, this episode, that was one of the points is they go and they end up spending more in legal bills than they did to, uh, you know, than they could have to just pay off the patent troll. Now, the legal bills, another interesting thing, there would have been nothing wrong with Richard saying to the attorney ahead of time, hey, man, what's the scope of this project, okay? I want to get these other eight founders together. I want you to draft up these agreements. $22,000, that's kind of top level to draft a couple of agreements in my mind, even Silicon Valley. Um, what's the guy's name? Laflamme. Yeah, Ron. Ron, Ron Laflamme. Yeah. He's, uh, I'm sure he's one of the top venture attorneys in Silicon Valley, but 22, uh, that feels a little high to draft one agreement and get eight copies of it. To be fair, though, we don't know how long that agreement was. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be super complex right. licensing. Maybe it's a joint licensing agreement because there's so many of them mm -hmm. working together. So if you were negotiating between eight parties to get to one agreement, I could absolutely see how the fees get there. Yeah. Right? And uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Also, ask your attorney how much you think it's going to cost. That's right. You know, Just they, ask the attorney. Now, the, you know, most of the time they can't give you an exact flat fee. This is what it's going to cost you. But they can say, I think it's going to be between, be between X and Y. There's nothing wrong with asking the attorney that up front. Okay. There was one real key thing I wanted to talk about, and that was Ehrlich being paid by Bream Hall. So Ehrlich brings in um, Haley Joel Osmond, who I think his character's name was Keenan Feldman, something like Feldspar. that. Feldspar. Keenan Feldspar. We don't know the name of his company yet, do we? It's a virtual reality company. Yeah. Ehrlich brings him into Bream Hall. Bream Hall's leading the first round. We don't know if it's a seed round or an A round. And Ehrlich's looking for a job, but instead of hiring Ehrlich, they give him a finder's fee. Right. So Lori and Monica just cut him a check. Finder's fee is an interesting legal point. So let's take a step back. Under current SEC regulations, and I've got a big problem with this. So most startup, most investment activity is governed by three uh, three acts, right? Three also, real quick, this is not legal advice. This is not legal advice. Right. That's great. This is commentary Yes, on a legal situation. The 33 Act, the 34 Act, and the 40 Act. The 33 um, Securities Act, the Securities Exchange Act, 34. Securities Act. Securities Act. 33, yeah. 34 is Exchange Act. And 40 is the Investment Company Act, right? So these laws, the most recent one of them, which was written 77 years ago, governs transactions today, which is ridiculous because those laws were enacted right after the stock market crash, right? Right after we got out of the Great Depression. And they are put in there to protect investors. Totally get it. 77 years ago. It's ridiculous. I mean, even 85 years ago for the Securities Act, they were still being governed by this legislation. Anyway, one of the key tenets of that is that every security and everything's a security, everything other than your mortgage, and even that's just an exempt security. So pretty much everything's a security. Each security must either be registered or it must be exempt from registration. 
Now, private offerings, which is pretty much all we do here, we don't really public work, private offerings are all going to be exempt registrations. We generally don't register any of our securities. They're all exempt, and there's, if you know what you're doing, there's a broad base of exemptions that you can use. But there's three parts of this, okay? There has to be, the security has to be either registered or exempt. The, uh, there has, there's an investment advisor somewhere in there, and then there's going to be a broker-dealer, oftentimes. So the investment advisor is a person giving advice to the issuer or to the investor. And the broker dealer is a person brokering the transaction between the two parties. The matchmaker, correct. In this situation, Ehrlich was the broker dealer. Now, Ehrlich is not licensed. If you were, that would be a big surprise to all of us. Right. So they give him what's known as a finder's fee. I looked it up. Finder's fees are available in California. Now, we have finder's fees in Texas. Finder's fee are an easier way to get paid for broker dealer activity. You don't have to be to, to be a registered broker dealer. You usually have to pass either the Series Seven, the Series Sixty Three, one of those other series exams that uh, that broker dealers, investment advisors have to pass, and then you have to f- abide by a host of number of other rules. And your entity can be registered, the individuals can be registered, but finder's fee is like a baby broker dealer. Okay. Now I looked at the California law. It's very similar to Texas. Three hundred bucks. I think California is two fifty. Texas, I think, is three hundred. You just have to fill out a questionnaire. Basically, it has to be an individual can't be the entity but the finder can't do certain things like they can't actually get involved in the negotiation they can't make representations and warranties about the success of the company they're basically just a matchmaker okay well when they cut that check to Ehrlich unless he's a registered broker dealer or a registered finder they might be violating certain securities laws right okay the securities laws are generally meant to are generally in place for the issuer. Issuer is the fancy word for startup. Okay, anytime you're dealing with securities laws, you got to be thinking about the issuer is the startup or the company issuing securities. Whether it's an LLC or a corporation, they're all issuers. So the finder that we know of, Aaron, and the way I've always understood in Texas and it looks in California, is that finders can't get paid by the issuer. Now, in this scenario, Ehrlich wasn't being paid by the issue. No, he's he's being paid by the investor. All Ehrlich did was make an introduction, right? All he really did, but very valuable introduction. I understand that. What does can the investor pay the pay the finder? Assuming Ehrlich were registered, yeah. And there's some other assumptions. There's some other hurdles we have to get to in a sec. Right. No, I mean, I haven't looked closely enough at this law or any of the laws surrounding this space, but. My thought would be that it would be drafted broadly enough that it would not just affect payments by the issuer. Yeah, because I think you'd have an easy way around it if you said, okay, look, I'm a finder, but I'm not registered. I want to get finder's fee. So why don't you just invest $5,000 less into the company right. and then give me $5,000? Right. It still looks like it's part of the same transaction. Yeah. So I think Ehrlich is the, the way – now, also, the only way finder's fees that come into place is if it's the um, if it's intrastate, Okay. Once, once you start to cross state lines, interstate, once you start to cross state lines, you now have to deal with SEC rules. So taking a step back, we talked about all the SEC, the 33, the 34, and the 40 Act. Those only govern federal transactions, which is anytime you cross state lines. Finders fees in California and Texas deal with intrastate transactions, which would be a Texas company to a Texas investor or a California company to a California investor. Which is... I think unlikely in this scenario, as you know, most of the startups are going to be Delaware corporations. That's correct. So just about every startup you can just assume is a Delaware corporation. It'd be very odd 
for Feldspar's company. Feldspar, is that was the name? Feldspar. To be a California corporation, especially as California is so company, excuse me, so employee friendly, right? A lot of companies don't like to incorporate in California. So they just probably broke a couple of SEC laws there. Even if it were a finder's transaction, um, excuse me, if Bream Hall could argue is most likely a California LLC or California limited partnership. So that would be a transaction. She was issuing cash from uh, Bream Hall, California entity to Ehrlich, California resident. But that wasn't where the issuance came. Right. right? The issuance yeah. came from Feldspar's VR company, which is almost undoubtedly a uh, almost undoubtedly a um, Delaware corporation. Right. So that's a long way of saying that they violated the SEC. Well, but in the end of the episode, they, they sort of got all around it because they end up hiring Ehrlich. And, you know, I again, I don't know if the employment of an individual who receives compensation in connection with the issuance of securities, if that, that payment by the investor to that employee, I would assume there's an exemption from broker-dealer or finder's fee registration in that scenario yeah there definitely is because i know you know vcs it's not uncommon to get right. a bonus or whatever right. you know success fee but yeah so they turn it into a salary which absolutely eliminates that issue now we get questions like this all the time eric hey so-and-so wants to be a finder maybe they are they are registered they want to be registered or i talked to this broker dealer so you got three situations one you talk to joe joe guy and he the name joe guy sure and he wants to get paid a fee for introducing you to money introducing your company money Two, you talk to Joe Guy who has a, his advisor's exemption, excuse me, his finder's license, and he wants to get paid a fee for introducing your company to money. Or C, you talk to Joe Guy who has his broker-dealer license, and he wants to get paid a fee. So, Aaron, I'm the startup. I come to you with those examples. What are your thoughts? Give me C. I want the broker-dealer. With the broker-dealer exemption. I mean, you know, B is fine when you're dealing with a finder, except you're going, you're going to be limited you know, you have to be in the same state as all of your investors. It's very narrow, right? right. Texas and not Texas. Just, not just be in the same state, but be incorporated in that. Now, actually, Texas just, remember, uh, Texas is working on passing a law to where, no, I, I take that back. This is under the new 506B regulations to where if you conduct 80% of your business in another state, you can be considered domiciled in that state for SEC reasons. This is to get around the companies that are just incorporating Delaware, but doing all their business in a state. But does that only apply to 506B? Yeah, yeah, it? but that's exactly. I don't know. I don't know how that affects broker dealer. Right. Interesting conversation to have with your attorneys. Right. The other point about so yeah, first of all, do not pay anyone at all who's not a finder, and if they are a finder, it's a very narrow set of circumstances that are that are going to have to exist for you to be able to pay someone as a finder. And then finally, paying broker dealers, it happens sometimes. You have to, but man, try to avoid that. Yeah. Right. It's just that's just not the way. There's other ways to raise capital, raise them through your personal network, you know, uh, reach out to people on LinkedIn, go to pitch meetings, hit up the angel networks in your area. And and if you are going to pay a licensed broker dealer, make sure your documents reflect that. That's correct. The investors need to be notified of it. There has to be disclosures to both sides, to both the company and the investor about how much the broker is being compensated. Absolutely. Great point. This is why you need attorneys to button all these things up because you could get – you pay some guy five grand for bringing you $100,000. And you know, while the company's going good, no one cares. But let's just say that the company falls apart or there's something – you have some sort of downturn. You get a fussy investor. The fussy investor says, wait a minute. So he wants to sue, right? So the fussy investor goes to his lawyer and says, hey, I want to sue these guys that lost $100,000. The lawyer probably says, it's a startup, man. I mean 
you know, the docs generally say it's, it's a risky investment. You understand the risk. You're, you you're a lose all of your investor. Money. You can lose all your money. It's in the purchase agreement. But then you say, well, we also, we paid Joe Guy $5,000 for making the introduction. There you just cracked a window for the litigation attorney, for the securities attorney. Say, wait, okay, Joe Guy, was he licensed? Did he make these sort of disclosures or representations? Now you've got something you can go back and sue on. So try not to do it if you're going to have to pay someone to raise money, to raise venture money. You know, broker dealers have their place. It's just in venture, they don't really um, exist. If you're going to do it, make sure you're working with an attorney. Let's see. Any other thoughts, Aaron, on the episode? No. Uh, Ed Chambers was amazing. Yeah. Ed Chambers, having new favorite character. Yeah. It's unfortunate they had to fire him, <laughs> yeah. but. Uh, I thought the Jin Yang, the Guilfoyle spending the whole episode trying to hack Jin Yang's fridge for what? Yeah. I, I didn't get that part of it. Did There's, you, uh, they, they addressed head on your, uh, your point from a couple of podcasts ago about the all female VC. You have Ehrlich who is, uh, trying to somehow make an argument that he, he should be given a job because look around at the, uh, at the Bream Hall offices. It's just a bunch of women. Right. You know, these poor guys in, in Silicon Valley VC world just can't get a job anymore. They don't want Graham Hall is wanting a bad reputation. Yeah, they did address it head on in a very comical way. So I, I do think they're absolutely addressing that, which I think is neat. I think the Jin Yang hates Ehrlich. You mean he hates Eric? Yeah, Eric. That topic has run its course for me. I'm over. I like Jin Yang, but maybe they're trying to shift him and Guilfoyle that be some sort of adversaries. I don't know. I, I don't know where they're going to go with that anymore. They're, I don't know what they're going to do next. I think we still have three episodes left. Yeah, and we have all next season. Yeah, they're running out of time with no Ehrlich. With so, no right? Ehrlich. So maybe they have to get rid of the Jin Yang Ehrlich thing because he's going to be gone next season. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all I got, Aaron. Any closing thoughts? No. Okay. Appreciate you guys listening. Check us out at VelaWoodLaw.com. Check us out on social media at VelaWood on Instagram, at VelaWood on Twitter. And then the podcast available on the podcast store, uh, Silicon Valley Review by Vela Wood. Appreciate it. See ya. Oh, my baby.